Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we are all realizing that the quality of our air, especially our indoor air, is really darn important. In 30 minutes, Puro Air will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts For about three years, she laid there through snowfalls, spring rains, and summer heat. She only had what she brought with her some clothes, jewelry and a pair of black stockings. And she had a secret. It seems no one knew she was missing. If they did, they weren't looking. Over the years, they gave her different names and identities, but none fit. And now decades later, she's still a young girl now cared for by one man for the last 16 years. My first name is Chris, C-H-R-I-S. My last name is McMullen, M-C-M-U-L-L-I-N. And I'm a detective with the Ben Salem Police. Suspicious deaths, murders, the missing. I'm in the special victims unit, so I primarily do sex crimes and homicides when they currently happen also. Every victim has a story, even if every story doesn't have an ending. She was a person. Somebody's got to be missing her. There's got to be somebody. I don't want her to be forgotten. From Gone Cold, Philadelphia Unsolved Murders, this is What Happened To... I first met Chris McMullen while working on another episode, The Bones in Potter's Field. One of the Potter's Fields in Philadelphia borders Ben Salem near Bucks County. Chris was helping Philadelphia investigators dig up the remains of 10 unidentified murder victims for DNA phenotyping, trying to put names to the remains. It's kind of become Chris's specialty. I took it upon myself to uh, start opening up our cold cases. I started around 2002. He's also a member of the VDOC Society, a Philadelphia-based group of investigators, prosecutors, forensic crime specialists, retired and active, who go through unsolved cases in hopes they can try and help each other on how to think differently about a cold case. And Chris told me about this story and how when he began his investigation, it led to another case and then to another murder case in Delaware and how it could be linked to yet another high-profile one out on the West Coast. But first, let's start with Jane. 
The public distillery was big in Philadelphia. They had two plants, one in South Philly and one in Ben Salem. They started in the early 1900s, selling industrial alcohol solvents for cleaning supplies. After Prohibition, they sold whiskey. Most popular was the Old Hickory Bourbon. The entire plant was a massive operation. An old illustration from what looks like a 50s brochure shows concrete buildings, wheels turning, steam rising. You could really see how active this distillery was. In the late 70s, there was a change of ownership. And by the late 80s, it kind of fell apart. It was no longer the bustling distillery it once was and instead became an abandoned property the kind of place where high school kids hang out. There's a party spot. There was one building back there that I found pictures of. It's no longer standing, but it was this big, the only way I describe it, it was a concrete building and it was it was circular. It almost looked like a flying saucer. Now, what its original purpose was, I have no idea. But in kids in the area, they used to refer to that building as the echo chamber because kids would go in there and they would scream and yell and, and they're, voices would echo and it was kind of like, you know, a source of amusement. So, I mean, like kids would go back there and just like anywhere where there's wooded areas, they would play around, they would drink, they would smoke and that sort of thing. One day in January of 1988, a couple went back there walking their dog. One of them looked down one of those concrete vats. There was at least two or three that I can see from photographs of these underground bunkers or pump houses that we refer to them as. And what it looked like was a, um, a big cement bulkhead coming out of the ground that had an opening with a steel ladder. And if you were to go down it, there's these big wheels and valves and pipes, and it was used for something in the function of the distillery. They see what looks like a mannequin laying on a massive pipe but they get closer, they look, and they realize it's a body. They call police. She was a, a young girl. There's a couple different estimates, anywhere from about 15 to 21, like mid-teens to early 20s. White female, petite. I think she was estimated at being around 120 pounds. Long brown hair, and the only reason that's because she had some... There was a little bit of hair that was you know, found with her, but another interesting thing about her is she was pregnant. She didn't have any major signs of trauma, no broken bones, no fractures to her skull, no, no, nothing that appeared to be bullet wounds or stab wounds. She did have a chipped tooth, one of her front, I think on the right side. Obviously, as far as sexual assault, it couldn't be determined. She was dressed, but there was no, uh, no signs of that that could be determined. She was wearing Braxton designer jeans and she had on um, a purple top. And it was kind of like a fancy top, like a, a mesh, Yet there was a couple other pairs of shoes down near where her body was found and uh, some nylon stockings and almost like, you know, there may have been like a little duffel bag that belonged to her and it got, the contents got dumped. Investigators tried to identify her, but it was the 80s. DNA testing wasn't being used the way it is now. Years went by. But in about 1994, detectives reached out to a man named Frank Bender. He was a forensic artist who sculpted the faces of unidentified remains. He was famous for it. He created the face of Jane. She was young looking, had an oval shaped face, small medium eyes, kind of closer to her nose, which stuck straight out and had larger nostrils, kind of slightly turned up. 
She had a slightly bigger forehead, kind of rectangular shaped, but the nose was the largest part of her face. She had a bit of an overbite and a smaller jaw and chin, so her upper lip looked like it was protruding more so than the bottom one. The sculpted face of the young girl didn't draw any leads. All the leads had dried up and her bones were placed into storage with the label Jane Doe Publicer. Chris McMullen picks up the file in 2004, just as investigators are given an opportunity through the feds. There was a program, President Bush had apparently signed an order, it was called the President's DNA Initiative. It was under the Justice for All Act of 2004. And it was for unidentified John and Jane Doe's throughout the country that what I did was I, I took advantage of that and I, we still had her bones in evidence, her entire skeleton, and I had sent it to uh, the University in North Texas, the Center for Human Identification. At no cost to us, they extracted her DNA profile and uploaded it into CODIS. CODIS, or Combined DNA Index System, is the national database for DNA profiles for the missing or unidentified victims or for suspects or those convicted of a crime. At least I got her in the CODIS so that if another agency or, or our agency, you know, puts in a family reference sample, of somebody that has a missing family member, we would potentially get a DNA match, identify who Jane Doe actually is. What about the fetal bones? Did they get DNA from the bones? There was DNA testing done on the fetal bones, determined that the baby was a female and that there was not a 100% profile, but they did develop a DNA profile suitable for testing. Another theory is that, well, maybe whoever killed Jane Doe was the father of the baby. If we ever identify her and then could follow the victimology to find out, you know, who she was and what was going on in her life at that time, we might be able to find a killer too, potentially, if, if it indeed was the father of the baby. But we're not there yet. Chris was tracking down all the leads he could, going back to the 80s to see what might have been missed. One of those cases was of Jeanette Tamby. Chris saw the timeline matched up. There was a girl that had disappeared in October of 84 named Jeanette. She was 18 years old at the time. By the time I came along, her mother and father were deceased. From what I could see, she had one sibling, a brother, who I had a lot of difficulty tracking down. Ultimately, I found them. But prior to that, there was a woman named Joanne, and um, they lived in the same apartment complex as Jeanette. And I would almost describe her as like a surrogate mother to Jeanette. She used to say that Jeanette had a pretty rough home life that, you know, didn't get along well with her parents, and um, that's why she thought maybe she had run away. But after the um, public or Jane Doe body was found, Joanne thought that, you know, it may be Jeanette Hamby, and she had brought that to the attention of the police. So I had gone to see Joanne. She lived down in Northeast Philadelphia, and I, I'd, I'd visited with her a couple times to get information from her. I mean, she truly, really cared about her. I continued to try and look for Jeanette's brother, and ultimately he was located in Nanticoke, Pennsylvania, which is outside of Scranton. So I went up and saw him in the fall of 2009. I showed him the photographs of the clothing and some of the jewelry that was found with public or Jane Doe. None of it looked familiar to him, but he also said that, in all honesty, he probably wouldn't know or remember anyway. He, he was pretty candid and said that back in those days, he, he had just gotten out of the military and he, was, um, he did a lot of drinking and partying and 
when Jeanette disappeared, they all just figured out she ran off with her boyfriend or something, she'll be back. He agreed to give me a DNA sample, so I took some buckle swabs. I then sent them down to uh, the Center for Human Identification and they extracted his DNA and put it into CODIS. I was pretty confident that I was gonna get a hit between him and uh, publicer Jane Doe. So this is the point where I may have to explain a few things about how we're going to break this apart. This is just one of their theories, and it gets even more crazy. I got a phone call. It was, it was kind of funny. I, I got into work, and I had mail on my desk, and I opened up the letter, and it was, it was from uh, the University of North Texas telling me that there had been a so, an association made with uh, Joseph Tamby's DNA. And at the same time, it was just very ironic. The phone was ringing, and it was them. And uh, I took the call and they told me, they said, so you, your sample of uh, got a mitochondrial match. And right away, I'm thinking, okay, that's Jeanette Tamby is the public, is public or Jane Doe. And I'm, they're like, yeah, a, a Jane Doe that was found in Buena, New Jersey in 1986. I'm like, what? You know, what, how the hell, wait. <laughs> so we're going to do a deep dive into what happened to Jeanette during the next episode. But for now, you need to know Jeanette Tamby is most definitely not Jane Doe publicer. This was kind of a shock for Chris. There's a second theory, and she has a similar timeline. It's the case of Tracy Bird, a freshman at Ben Salem High School. Tracy Bird was 14 years old, and she disappeared in spring of 1983. She attended Ben Salem High School. Supposedly, she had been dropped off to school that day by her mother's boyfriend, a guy named Paul Greenwald. According to school records, Tracy never attended school that day, which I've always said, well, either she never showed up at all or she walked in one door and walked out the back and cut. There was quite a bit of media attention about it at the time, lots of newspaper articles. One of the reports goes into how Tracy was in trouble with the school and was suspended until her mother met with the principal, but she couldn't tell her mom that, so she had to continue with the charade of going to school. And according to some of the reports, she asked friends to skip school with her that day, March 7th, 1983. Her mother, Jean Bird, her pictures in the newspaper and articles about, you know, the missing persons case and her, you know, appealing to Tracy to come home if she is had indeed run away or if anyone knew anything to please come forward with information. But this story takes a big turn, which changed the course of the investigation. In the fall of 1983, Tracy's mother, Jean, disappeared. And a few weeks after her disappearance, her body was found in Blackbird State Forest in Delaware. Which is just south of Middletown. She had been murdered. She was in a shallow grave. And the Delaware State Police investigated that case. And ultimately, they arrested the boyfriend, Paul Greenwald, for the murder of Jean Bird. The Delaware State Police, along with the Ben Salem Police, interviewed Greenwald in Tracy's disappearance. He was the last person to see Tracy alive. He denied anything to do with Tracy's disappearance and denied any knowledge of where she was at or what her fate was. Uh, not long after that, prior to his trial, he, he never made bail, so he was in jail. But that was also the last time they talked to him. But he committed suicide in, in jail. He hung himself. So now you're trying to see essentially whether or not Tracy Bird is Jane Doe, publicer. Yeah, and, and there was a lot of things that made me think that. One, the proximity. 
you know, the public or distillery, maybe only about less than two miles from where Tracy lived. You know, it's a local spot that, as I said, a lot of the young people and a lot of people, but more, you know, teenagers were familiar with that area. And if I, you know, if I wanted to hide a body, that's a good place to hide it. And the physicalities, Tracy was a petite white female, five feet to five feet, one inches. And um, that's about the same height as Tracy. And that's what Jane Doe was. Tracy had long, dirty blonde hair. And that's kind of the same color of the hair that was found with Jane Doe, like brownish blonde hair. And it was long. And um, Jane Doe was pregnant. And there was speculation. There was rumor from various people that had been interviewed that Tracy had been pregnant. And that may have been one of the reasons why she ran away. So I had all these different things telling me, hey, public or Jane Doe has a lot of common characteristics with Tracy Bird. And the time frame is right, too. You know, if Tracy Tracy disappeared in 83, Jane Doe's body is found in 88, and it's estimated she could have been there from three to five years. Your timeline is perfect. But with Paul Greenwald now dead? He was never convicted, and he was never available to be spoken to again. So if he did indeed have anything to do with Tracy's disappearance, he took it, he took it to the grave. Even with Greenwald dead, though, the investigation continued. So the next thing to do is, well, I, I need DNA. Obviously, you know, her mother was... Um, was already dead. And from what I understood, she was cremated. So even if I had the resources to do an exhumation to try and get DNA, just it wasn't an option. She had two brothers that actually turned out to be half brothers. And I contacted them. They're still in the Philadelphia area. I asked them, you know, who their father was. And ultimately I met with all three of them. The father lived in New Jersey and this was about 12 years ago. And I went over there and I, I just, I sat down with them and I explained to them, you know, what was going on and that, you know, I was looking into the disappearance of Tracy again and that we had this unidentified Jane Doe that, in my opinion, had a lot of commonalities with Tracy. So they, they agreed to give me their DNA and we, we buckle swabbed all of them. And the father, he said to me, he said, he, he was just, listen, I'm not a hundred percent sure that I'm Tracy's father. He was very candid with me. He said, you know, we had a, a tumultuous relationship and my wife was stepping out on me and I was stepping out on her. And there is a chance that I'm not her father. He said, I'm definitely their father, meaning the boys. And I said, okay, fine. You know, I still wanted to take his DNA on the chance that he may have been the father. I then met shortly thereafter with uh, Jean Bird's mother, Tracy's maternal grandmother. And I also got a DNA sample from her. So all four of those family reference samples were sent to uh, CODIS, you know, down to university of North Texas However, none of them rendered an association with public or Jane Doe. I inquired, I said, you know, with the brothers, if they're only, you know, half siblings, I was desperate. I was hoping they would tell me, well, maybe there's still a chance. But, you know, I mean, because we know that with the current trends now with DNA genealogy, they can, I mean, how'd they catch the Golden State serial killer with like a a fourth cousin and they, they narrow it down. So there was just no associations there. You know, I'm, I'm come to terms with, I, I really wish I could get DNA from her mother or find out actually who her father is for sure. So I recently, um, I, about six months ago, I had met with a, a trooper from Delaware who was really great. He brought me up copies of all of the case files from the homicide investigation for Jean Bird, Tracy's mother, which I had never seen any of this before. We didn't have this up here and um, really, really good stuff. And um, we had talked about, you know, DNA from either Gene Bird that may still be 
may have been taken during her autopsy that maybe is, you know, somewhere in a, in a lab, you know, at the medical examiner's office. Um, and also the possibility of anything from Paul Greenwald, but they said that there would be nothing from Greenwald. And because if I, if I knew I had something that was absolutely the, the, the DNA of Gene Bird, and then if I put that into CODIS and I don't get a hit, then I'm, then I'm completely hundred percent satisfied that Publicker is not Tracy Bird. So there's a third theory. It involves a man who's been convicted of a murder in California. He remains in prison. He was sentenced to 25 years to life, but he has not been convicted in this crime. So my third theory, there was a there was a guy who was in jail out in California a few years ago, probably about 2015. I received a phone call from somebody who's now a very good friend of mine. Her name is Kathy, lives out in Los Angeles. And she is one of several women that testified in that murder trial. One of his MOs was that he would approach an attractive young lady and tell them that he was either a photographer or a casting director. And I'm gonna put you in the next, you're gonna be the next Bond girl, or I'm gonna put you in a Disney movie. And he would persuade these young girls that are trying to get a modeling and an acting, acting career to meet him at secluded locations where he would then sexually assault them. And he, he got away with it. Kathy was one of his victims, but she got away from him. I think it was about five women that he assaulted, but they got away. And they all testified against him at the trial for the murder of that girl, Christy. He didn't get life in jail, which I think he should have. He got 25 years. That girl, Kathy, she said, you know, he attacked the five of us. He killed Christy. There's got to be more victims out there. So she started digging. And where do you think he used to live in the mid 80s? Ben Salem. Literally equidistant between where Tracy Bird lived and where the Publicker Distillery is. And if you recall, I said that Publicker Jane Doe, who I can you know agree is not Tracy Bird at this time, but I said that she had a couple pairs of shoes, she had black stockings with her, she had other clothes, and and the shirts like were kind of like fancy, like sexy, like the 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 clothes that were found with her body easily could have been for a photo shoot. I spoke with a detective out in California who was on the uh, case. And she asked me what kind of clothing was found with my Jane Doe. I said, there was at least two pair of shoes, if not three. And she said, well, she said, and I'm sure there was black stockings. That's what she said to me. Now, I didn't tell her that ahead of time. If somebody else did, because they wanted theatrical value to it, I don't know. But she said that he would tell these girls to bring extra clothes. And he always, the one thing he always wanted was black stockings. So then we, we do a little more. And one of his siblings got married in 1985. He had moved at that point, but he was here in town at a wedding in 1985. So we were like, wow, I wonder if he has something to do with this, you know, and our victim, public or Jane Doe, maybe nobody recognizes her around here because she's not from around here. Maybe she's from the West Coast. It's far-fetched, but at the end of the day, we still have a dead body that we don't know who, who she is. And you're telling me you got a guy who's in jail 
who's attacked at least six women, killed one, and he used to live not even a mile from where this body was found. And he used to tell girls, he used to tell them to meet him at secluded areas to do a photo shoot. Like, you know, how could I not pay attention to it? You know, he's still on the radar. You know, I, we'll see. Hopefully time will tell. I mean, I'm, I'm running out of ideas. If you have any information about who Jane Doe Publicer may be, or you may know about a relative or family friend who went missing from Ben Salem or anywhere else in the country around that time, please call the Ben Salem Police Department, Detective Chris McMullen, at 215-633-3700. As investigators, we want to find out the truth. The way you speak about Jane Doe Publicer is like she's your little sister or something. It almost seems like you guys are very close, even though you don't know who she is, because you you know so much about this person. So what does it mean to you to finally just identify her? It gives her a name. Then she becomes a person. You know, I just don't believe that anybody deserves to just be found like that and then just wind up in Potter's Field without a name. I mean, she she was a person. Somebody's got to be missing her. Even if her parents are deceased, there's got to be somebody. You know, it would just mean a lot to me because, I, you know, I don't want her to be forgotten. We have our, you know, Ben Salem is, is not Philadelphia, and we have our share of crime up here, but we don't get the amount of homicides that the bigger cities get, thank God. I mean, we get them, but, you know, I don't think that we have enough homicides up here to justify having other ones go cold. And that's why I won't stop working on it. I don't like loose ends. There's a reason that there's no statute of limitations on murder. If somebody killed somebody and it's unsolved, then the killer could be in jail for another crime or they could be dead. They could also be walking around free. And that's that just doesn't sit well with me. You can also leave an anonymous tip, which we're gonna post in the show notes. As I mentioned, we're working on the next case, the case of Jeanette Tamby. Stay with us. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we are all realizing that the quality of our air, especially our indoor air, is really darn important. In 30 minutes, Puro Air will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. 